0: Well, it's the holiday Monday. McCowan and Shannon, we are uh, with you. Uh,
1: we work holiday. every day.
0: Yeah, I wonder how many other podcasts are actually in Canada recording today. I suspect not that many. N- not bunch that of, many. A bunch of lazy pant loads.
1: Well, and um, lots of guys take the summer off too. I don't know what that is.
0: Yeah. Well, maybe we should try that. No. No. Uh, well, uh, we're going to work. We're going to do uh, well. Work. We're going to do a show for you and uh, one of our. Um, I, I know I say this more often than I probably should. but uh, This guy is at the top of the list among the favorites, a longtime friend and associate and boss. Actually, Nelson Millman was the longtime program director of the fan in Toronto. And uh, he will come out of whatever he's coming out of. Retirement hibernation. Or hibernation and uh, chat with us right after these messages. McConnell and Shannon back with you on this uh, holiday Monday in Happy Canada. In Canada, holidays to you. Yeah. Um, here's a guy who would only be available on a holiday. The uh, well, former uh, program director. I, don't mean to really? but
2: I was just I was just going through some of your old contracts, and I don't see anything in here that says you work holidays. As I recall, oh,
1: wow. he'd wor- I tell you what. The producer says he works holidays. He works holidays. Okay.
0: Hey, Here's And I got news to... for both of you, uh, Nimrod's. You uh, did
2: work holidays.
0: I worked a lot of holidays. I worked most holidays. Now
2: you o- you always asked to, and I could never understand. By more. the way, have
1: you introduced our guest yet? No, because There's he interrupted.
2: Well, so, yeah, what al- By the way,
1: what else? What else is new? <laughs> oh, shit. oh wow!
0: Former program director of the Fan um, in Toronto, Nelson Millman is uh, with
2: us
1: now and and prob- was, were you sport re- sports radio executive of the of the year in North America too? Once year, one year I was,
2: ago? I was the ESPN award.
1: Hold on. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> well, okay. oh, He's, award. Oh, He's probably got
2: because he got the broadcaster of the year.
1: Uh, um, what year? Was, yeah. So it is. Was, was that when you guys were up against Walter Winchell or somebody else like that? Shut, Shut up. up.
2: <laughs> 2000 and... Okay, really? it, maybe. Mine's in a box. His is sitting prominently displayed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I have so few.
2: <laughs> Me too. Awarded <laughs> <laughs> for anything? We worked hard.
1: God, no, no, got, no, 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 no. has got said, Emmys, and you got you've got the words in the wrong order. You hardly worked.
0: <laughs> well, I, I know I, Nelson worked for about fifteen minutes a day because I used to go into his office and bug him. Oh. Every day before the show, it was a. Yeah,
2: I used to make sure I original. got to the radio station by three thirty PM.
0: And then and he was then, gone uh, at four oh one. As soon as I got on the air.
1: And, and what would, so, so, what would that discussion be like? Was it was it a classic case of Bob whining and complaining, Nelson? No, no. I'll tell you what. I, was it, I, I was, mean, the question was for Nelson, not for Bob.
2: We had some really uh, good discussions about life in general about the show, about what's going on, about how much, um, uh, you know, what the audience was doing, what the ratings were. You know what? It was just, I used to say if Bob didn't leave my office, either uh, pissed at me or laughing, then uh, I hadn't done the job. Because then he'd go on the air and and it was, you know, it was a little bit of green room stuff before the show.
1: Well, I mean, really. you were the the warm-up act? Yeah, sort of.
0: Well, look. The truth of the matter is that Nellie and I have known each other for a long, long time, and uh, we we became very close friends. And it was really, it was really just a couple of pals getting together to say hi and and shoot the shit. Really, I mean, that's all it was. It wasn't. It, it wasn't some deep.
2: No, th- yeah. Th- there was no, uh, uh, you know, really deep discussions about. Yeah, we just we just sit and shoot the breeze.
1: Bob yeah. Bob had no agenda. Not with Nelly.
2: I think some day some days we both had agendas. Oh. You know, a, at some point there was still, you know, uh, the positions that we both held. So some days I would have an agenda to just dis- I wanted to talk about this. Some days he would have, you know, have an agenda I want to talk about this, but it was always, you know, we were smiling most of the time no matter what the discussion was.
0: Yeah, I'd have my feet up on his desk and um he would usually tell me to get them off and I'd say, no. And then we'd carry on.
2: And then I'd put my feet up on the desk. And uh, uh,
0: wait, wait, but wait, wait. It,
2: it, the funny <laughs> thing is everybody knew that, you know, kind of quarter to four. And and this okay. was, I think perhaps, you know, I didn't always have time for everybody in the radio station on a daily basis, but I, I tried to make sure. And there were many days when I was in meetings and whatnot, and Bob yeah. just wandering aimlessly through the halls, yeah. um, uh but i tried to make sure that as i did with the morning show that i found 15 or 20 minutes um to catch up with the important time slots of the day
0: <sighs> Been referred to as many things but rarely a time slot
2: <laughs> well, you, you were just inventory to me Bob.
0: thank you
1: you, were, right. you were just a we got little... we
0: got to go see you later you, you were just a <laughs>
1: little you were a little higher than tone you <laughs> No tone was more important.
2: If I heard tone, there was something wrong. <laughs> so,
0: I mean, I know we've discussed this in in many from many different angles, but is there a future for sports radio? I mean, we you know over the past however many years that we've been involved in this, certainly you and I and and John to uh, an off for a long period of time too. It never, I never contemplated the end of sports radio. I never contemplated whether it would last, whether it would survive. You could, you could, you could say, well, it will have ups and downs. Um, there, maybe there were too many sports radio stations. You could make that argument. But if you really look at it from the heydays when we were essentially in play to where we and are And for
2: now. a long time, the, the only game in town.
0: Well, yeah, we, we were, what, the third or fourth in North America? Yeah, I think. The launch? We
2: third, yeah, third, I believe.
0: And so we were at, at the beginning. But in the interim, I mean, the, the phenomenon grew like wildfire. I, how many? Do you remember how many stations there were in, the, in North America and U.S. particularly? Oh, Hundreds. Three, maybe a I thousand. Say
2: three, I want to say there were at least 350.
0: There you go. 350 radio stations in the United States doing all sports. And then gradually it grew in Canada mm-hmm. to where virtually every major market, if not every major market had a sports and all sports station, but that's now been pared back. There are far fewer today and they have far less influence. And I, and I'm, I'm led to believe that the, the ratings, for these stations including the one we worked at aren't anywhere near what was achieved back in our time and it it makes me wonder whether there this is a you know a diminishing asset what do you think
2: well yes uh, i think it is a diminishing asset i think that local is still You know, and maybe I'm hanging on to an old adage here, but I believe that as people get older, local becomes far more important to them, whether it's traffic in the weather or sports discussion about your favorite teams um, in real time. In fairness, I don't listen a ton to either one of the sports stations in in uh, in Toronto. I mean, I'm outside Toronto. Uh, If I'm in the car, you know, I'll tune in from from time to time, but I'm way outside the demo as, you know, as as we are. I used to think nothing would make radio go away. Mm. And now it's like, okay, uh, how do you, how do you keep within the framework of making sure your income is more than your outgo? And as advertisers split away, not that there was this huge bucket of advertisers for sports radio at any time, because sports radio never picks up national business um, the way the FM stations do. So, you know, the Bay never advertised on the fan. Um, uh, Coca-Cola never advertised on the fan. So those national accounts aren't there. From a strictly dollars and cents perspective, I think it's, they're in for a tough time. Well,
1: hey, you, you, two things there that, that jumped out. First of all, uh, is there a misnomer that sports radio was cheap to produce? Or and or was it cheap to produce? No, Comparative to other, the most,
2: yeah. it's the most expensive format, and far more expensive than an FM station. Okay,
1: so wh- why?
2: Well, forget because forget
1: about don't say right, don't say rights. Sports rights mean nothing, so I'm not worried about having the Jays or well, the or the Raptors. Right, sports or the rights thing.
2: mean something because sports rights still form the basis of a lot of the programming on sports radio stations. So rights do factor in, but it's a. It, and it's, you know, when we were there, it was very people intensive. Every show had one host or two. Every show had a producer. Every show had somebody sitting behind the board. So when you start to, that's where the costs, a lot of the costs. Were. And, 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 then the, paying, and paying the other people to appear on the radio station. Sure. Guys like you.
1: So now, uh, and the other thing was you're, you said you're outside the demo. What the heck is the demo?
0: Oh, we like uh, you, Nelson. You went. Uh, you hit mute. Nelson. You hit mute. There, we'll get you hit mute back on, and uh, we'll continue. There
2: Sorry, you I, I've never used a computer before. Um, <laughs> the demo for sports radio traditionally was twenty-five to fifty-four. male The heart of the the, the sweet spot was thirty-five to fifty-four. And at one time, that was the demo we, we led in that demo, male or, you know, more male than female for sure. At that time, it was probably 80-20 uh, in any given ratings book. So, you know, do I care about sports the same way I used to? You know, not really. I'm seven. You know, I'm almost 70. <laughs> so there comes a time when been there, done that, got the T-shirt. Um, I'm semi-interested. Um, And I think the passion that we all used to have, or I used to have, you know, ebbs away for some, you know, for, for other things. Mm -hmm. So the demo is still 35 to 54. That's the advertiser sweet spot. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's the demo that's probably been fragmented the most through, through all the other platforms.
0: Well, I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Um, the other reality is that when the fan launched in nineteen ninety two,
1: so it's almost the fortieth anniversary coming up, right? Because it was Labor Day of Labor Day of of September fourth, yeah. September fourth, 1990 Yeah, so it's a, a month to the fortieth anniversary.
0: Yeah, which is unbelievable. But if you look at the lineup in those early days, now it did it changed because there were some people that were brought in. Nobody had ever done it, so there were a few people who were brought in that weren't good at it or it didn't fit their, their wheel spot. Uh, but m- almost all of them were people from the print media or television. And so they were known commodities. They had a brand of some sort might some more than others. But there was almost nobody that was brought in at the beginning, Nelson, from anywhere, like another station, um, because there were no other sports formats.
2: The first morning, uh, first morning show uh, host was Mike Kings, and Mike came in from Indianapolis.
1: He was a yeah, Winnipeg guy. Winnipeg guy, but Winnipeg guy,
2: but but came, came in. He was crazy. he was doing play by play for the Pacers. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, Other but that, than
2: that, it was people who had been with the radio station. Um, Joe Bowen, Barb DiGiulio, um Mike Hogan came in, uh, uh, you know, a few years in, but you're right. Damien Cox and um, Mary Ormsby and uh, Steve Payton did, a, you know, they, they had, so we had, we had those resources to pull from. Um, and those companies were looking for extra brand recognition. So it was, you know, and then we started. I cut a deal with TSN to for the bullpen with Mike Hogan and all the guys that or all the people that appeared on TSN. We did that for two hours a day.
0: Yeah.
2: After and, the fabulous sports game.
0: Right. We then went through that experiment too. Well, so did ESPN. Um, and ultimately, that didn't work. Um, and there were lots of things that didn't work. But we had we had the ability and the necessity to have to try and create mm-hmm. um, you more than anybody else, you know. Well,
2: w- and it was working. a different time. It was a it was a private company that owned that owned the radio station. You know, I could go talk to the president and, and explain why we needed to to do this. You know, not that long ago, somebody you know passed away, Doug Ackers, mm-hmm. and Doug was you know Doug came in to the radio station, yeah, and I want to say, let's call it 95. Um, and, you know, he had been, you know, his reputation within the company was he came in and helped radio stations on an economics, on the economic side. But he bought into the format, and he fought like hell for the format because in 95, we were real close to, uh, to folding up the tent. And if you recall, we went to things like 50 updates every 15 minutes. We brought in the sports babe. We we reduced that that expense load to see if we could make it work. And then and then hung in. So, you know, in the framework of a basically a family operated business, we were able to influence some of the decisions at the at the upper end a little more, I think. Well, that's one of the reasons.
0: So, as you look at, and I know, I think you're probably like John and I, and I'm not sure it's because of age. I don't, I've never considered it an age thing. I'd be inclined to listen to sports radio today. And I'm going to be very, very honest if, if it was worth listening to. And frankly, I think what, what either the industry did or what has been a huge, Void is developing talent. Um, You know, who's the next guy? And you can't keep going back to the newspaper guys or the the TV guys. You can do that to some extent because they have visibility and they are known entities and you, you love them or you hate them, but at least you know who they are. Today, you can go down the list of hosts in this country. And really, if you haven't been listening for an extended period of time, you got no idea who these guys people are. And am I wrong in saying the industry failed to teach, develop the farm system? And eventually the the farm system
2: couldn't take over. It was hard to create a farm system because there were so few radio stations in the U S in the U.S., you start in rear end, you know, Kentucky, and you what what city's that again? Rear end, Kentucky. I <laughs> stayed there one night. It wasn't that good, um, and I also cleaned it up a little. Uh, so, really, it, the tough part for for me was developing talent. Where do I develop them? Exactly. There's no other radio stations in the country talking sports, so we have to find some young talent and. For a long time, that was what the overnight show did in the evenings. And I tried to hire individuals who could come on, come in and do updates and fill in host. They needed, you know, we needed to be able to have that flexibility with people because there wasn't this great um, you know, bucket of people to draw from where music radio, you start in, you know, Saskatoon and work your way to Medicine Hat and Regina and Winnipeg and you wind up in Vancouver, Montreal, or Toronto. Mm-hmm. But we didn't have that. It, but
1: but the other issue... So it's not a could,
2: failure of the business as much as a failure of the opportunity.
1: Yeah. So here we are in 2022, and you would think... I mean, there's more sports now than there was in 1992 and 93 and 94. There are more teams now. There's more available content now. And yet the system seems to be breaking down and it is, is well, or, 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 or maybe this is my real question. Is it breaking down? People are just finding different ways to consume it.
2: I was just going to say that what brought people to sports radio, as much as the information and the play-by-play was the personalities. Okay. That was, it was, it was everything. Uh, because you had to be entertained by the personalities. People are getting entertained by the personalities that aren't that are no longer on the radio or are on all the other platforms mm-hmm. and that's where you know if, is radio getting hurt well yeah they're getting hurt on the uh, you know on, on that side of things especially in in talk radio um and sports more specifically you know music radio i have no idea how it's doing who's listening when they're listening i I couldn't tell you, but I suspect their audiences are, are down as well. But the personalities are are terrific to have, but it, the music is what people come to, to the station for. People go to podcasts like this because they're entertained by the personalities. How many millions of podcasts are there? I have no idea. Many. What are the successful ones? Yeah, the ones that have strong personalities. I'm and. And some track record, Bob. I mean, this is a successful podcast because of your track record and, mm-hmm. and John's track record. If I started one, probably not so much.
0: Well, it would so, be a lot more difficult. I would, I would tell you that. Yeah. Um, although, as we've learned, uh, launching a podcast is a lot more difficult than launching a radio show or a television show. <laughs> you know, you, you
2: have no di- you, you have no distribution channel where the, we have to transmit.
1: No, they gotta find you and jump re- really, on board. Really, the biggest issue, because um, you, you mean the, the the channels of listenership are there, whether it's Apple or Spotify or Google, uh, or you know, or, or many other platforms. The 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 issue, more than anything, is awareness. Of course, we still get every once in a while. Wow, McCowan's still on the air. That's cool. And and you know when you're when you're a mom and pop operation uh, and you don't you don't have dollars to spend on promotion how what would your like what your promotion budget those first 4 or 5 years was that the biggest budget you had in the system? No.
2: No, you know our 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 advertising marketing budget was never huge. The first 2 years uh, when we did commercials with Bob McCowan and Ricky Henderson in,
1: in those first and
2: those early years. Those really, those really
1: was, they lasted, they, they, they weathered well, those ones.
2: There was some budget. But, you know, you mentioned awareness. I got news for you. We've been on the air 15 years and or 12 years and people didn't know there was a sports radio station in the market. So, you know, that's no different. But you can't afford mass marketing. We didn't do mass marketing. So you do whatever you can yeah. you know, on the guerrilla marketing side of things to create awareness. So what's that guerrilla tactics now? Oh, it's Twitter and it's Instagram and TikTok and and all those other things. Yeah. do you and you have to break through that the same way we had to figure out how to break through um, trying to promote the radio station? Well, we, we never got- had a huge marketing
1: budget.
0: I don't have to tell you this, but we got a, and I know John knows this too, but we, we got a great break because the station launched in September of 1992 and two things happened simultaneously. The Toronto Maple Leafs won their first 10 games that year. Mm-hmm. And um, the Toronto Blue Jays won the World Series.
2: And, and the we Leafs got went to their... the semifinals two years ago.
0: That's right. So, um, and I think our ratings if not coming out of the shoot, then within the first year or so might have been the highest they ever were in the history of the radio station. Nelson.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was pretty, it was pretty close. I think our, our Q and grew, but our share was, was very high back then. So, um, yeah, because we had, especially with the Jays going to the two world series, we really had a lot of women that we hadn't counted on, I think. That came in and listened to to the radio station.
0: Do you remember were the were all the Blue Jay games on television back then? No, no, they weren't eighty
2: one. And I remember Paul Beaston used to say, "I'm going to get all hundred and sixty two on TV," and I'd say, "Well, yeah, okay, it diminishes my rights, but I understand, you know, radio's medium, TV's a large." Yep. Um but there were only yeah there were eighty games on eighty one. Yeah, whatever that was.
1: It, it, that's, that reminds me, uh, like fr- Friday. I bet you the radio listenership on Friday was higher than it has been all season long because that was the game that was assigned to Apple TV right. for the for the Jays. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My neighbor, who's a diehard a Jays fan, I said, "So, are you watching the game tonight?" He says, "Nope, going to have to listen on the radio." <laughs> so yeah. I said, "Well, that's okay. I love listening. I love listening to the baseball on the radio." So. But
2: you you have to have an actual radio to do it, unless you you can buy the MLB radio package or Sirius XM, which is a fine
1: product. Oh, Oh, somewhere else you worked. Somewhere else I worked. (laughs) And (laughs) somewhere else this show is right now. That's why I said
0: it. Uh, Nelson Millman is with us, the uh, former program director of uh, The Fan in Toronto, and uh, we'll continue the conversation. To where? I don't know. But uh, come back and find out after these messages. It's the Bob Account podcast. Yours truly, John Shannon, Nelson Millman, the idiot program director of That's
1: the amazing. fan. Um. Hey. Did, uh, uh, so, did you
0: hmm.
1: you when Rogers bought uh Telemedia or the, bought the radio station and moved it? Mm-hmm. Was there a Tangible difference for you in running this, um, running the radio station, or did they leave you alone?
2: Um, a tangible, uh, we, uh, we had access to far more resources in, in those years. Um, Chuck McCoy, who was the uh, uh, general manager of the Toronto radio stations, uh, was a huge sports fan, so um, he became effectively my boss. Um, but we had a really good partnership. So, you know, for a while, things were um, were pretty good. You know, we, we had, uh, like I said, we had lots of resources. We built the studios the way we, we wanted them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to access the other radio stations. <clears throat> Excuse me, guys. Um, able to access the other radio stations for uh, um, advertising, promotion, that kind of thing. So yeah it was it was it was pretty good.
1: And, and that group was,
2: they they and they really wanted the radio station. Yes, Standard yeah. Radio, Standard Radio about Telemedia. So the owners of CFRB and I think CFGM in Montreal, they bought um, Telemedia and then Rogers bought a number of stations from Standard.
0: Paid a lot of money for them too as I recall.
2: Oh yeah, it was it was a big chunk of change. I try to remember what the number is. So.
0: I think I think I remember. I think it was twelve stations they bought, and they paid something like hundred million for those twelve stations.
2: Yeah, that's I mean, probably that's probably somewhere
0: close. In, in that neighborhood. And I remember we sat down and did the math, and we we may have undervalued the other stations, but the other stations were almost at all small market stations. There was no other Toronto station. Uh, there was
2: no other Toronto station.
0: And it may have been London. Uh, I don't think yeah, so
2: and no. and, I, and some in, in some of the Northern Ontario.
0: Yeah. Well, Aurelia yeah. and, you know, there are a lot of cottage country type stations. Right. So we sat down and tried to figure, okay, what this station's worth and what's that station worth and blah, 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 blah. And, and when we came back to it, I, I'll never forget this. We said, holy crap, they paid probably in the neighborhood of $70 million for the fan, which interestingly is almost exactly what ESPN had sold for just a couple of years before. And it was considered a, you know, like, wow.
2: Hmm.
0: Or not ESPN, Wfa- WFAN. Yeah, I
2: was going to say, yeah.
0: WFAN sold for $70 million. And so the net result of that was whatever it is. I mean, what would that be? What would well, the station be worth today? A lot less than that, I would assume.
2: Yeah, I don't, it, and it wasn't worth it back
0: then. No, you mean you two? Care. You two? I, I don't, I don't, we we you you two we weren't worth
1: it it, were, you you weren't worth seventy million dollars. The two of you. Oh no, we well, were worth. Uh, it. Yeah, we were. I, I
2: was <laughs> worth sixty nine, and I was. Worth
0: one. <laughs> yeah, Rogers. No, it, changed, uh, Rogers changed the tune on the, that valuation. I got news for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah
2: eventually yeah. we. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the but and Roger, but Rogers really wanted to own both of those positions, you know, six eighty News, which has always been the best news station in Can, you know, news talk, they're not news talk news station in mm-hmm. Canada. They wanted news and sports, and they they knew that was a way to dominate the AM dial. Well, they also um, did they
0: they did they have the investment in the Blue Jays at that point? I'm trying to remember in '92. I think they – no, they didn't. No. No, they didn't because it was a Sky Dome, not the Rogers Center.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, Rogers didn't buy Alice. It was – wasn't it early 2000s when they bought the Uh, Kings. Is that something we should know?
0: Not really. I didn't have any equity. Okay, good. So who gives a – No, but ultimately, maybe around the fan – it, it, it generated the interest within Rodgers to expand the sports empire. And we all know mm-hmm. they did. They bought the dome. They bought the baseball team. They stole the dome. They, you, they owned they, the football are you, are you team at one me? point.
2: They, they, they got involved with the NFL. You know, Phil Lind, Phil Lind was a big, who uh, was the vice chair of Rodgers for a long time. Cleveland um, Browns fan. Cleveland Browns fan. Um one weekend we we he invited me to go to the to the Browns game. Very quick story. Phil Linda invited me to go to the to the Browns game. I'm going to the vice chair because we're all Browns fans. I'm going to Cleveland, the Browns Stadium with the Vice Chair Rogers. I wonder what time the jet leaves. Turns out I have to be at his house at seven thirty in the morning, so we can drive <laughs> to Cleveland. We get there and he does, I don't know, hundred miles an hour all the which was fine. I've got Chuck McCoy and another, another guy crammed in the car. We get to Cleveland Stadium. We go in. At the end of the first half, they're playing Cincinnati. It's 33-0 Cincinnati. We stay for three plays in the second half and Phil says, okay, let's go. Drive we home. Get back in, we get back in the car. It's Thanksgiving weekend.
1: Oh my goodness
2: seven hours oh my drive. God. <laughs> that was a, but anyway so phil was a huge sports fan um and i'm sure he flew to games at other times um and so they really you know i think they valued the fan beyond what it was from an but, even
1: standpoint but if this, this was more this was more of trying to extend the sportsnet brand than anything else wasn't it
2: it did ultimately become that but it was, yeah, there's and, no, and doubt, no say, doubt about it. Yeah. It did ultimately become that. And, you know, eventually they, they changed the name. I, I kind of fought the name change um, while I was still with the radio station. But I understand why they did it. I understand why they, you know, they, um, the fans' reputation was going to be of help to, to SportsNet and another place to promote the product.
0: Okay, here's a colossally unfair question. I know you have, by your own acknowledgement, have listened very little and listen very little now to sports radio. And John and I are are much the same. Although I won't be as diplomatic, I don't listen because I don't think there's anything on there really that's worth listening to. Um, Having said that, if you were running it today, can you fix this? What would you do?
2: Well, you know, I think you have to, and it's not easy. You, it has to be the investment, and this is no disrespect to anybody on the air, but the the star power on all radio stations right now it just isn't there. So, I think some of it is you have to find the right people, mm-hmm. coach them properly, work with. Them to make you know to make them as good as they possibly can be to build their personality, and the entertainment side. Um, but there seem to be so many distractions now. Um, it feels like radio has become you know, the podcast is different than radio, but it feels like radio has become the podcast, you're right, in the way it's produced and the way it's presented. Um, and the way people are coached or trained to be, you know, radio professionals.
1: I actually described this uh, the other day to a few friends. They said, "Well, what do you? What is the podcast?" I said, "It's basically a, a, a PVR for the radio. It's it. It's, it you know, we'll we're, we're do an yeah. hour radio show, and now you can now you can replay it anytime you want."
2: Here's one of the little differences, and, and Bob just reintroduced everything on the radio. You reintroduce things every ten minutes. Every six minutes. Yep. So those those fundamentals, I think, are important for people for the audience and for the presenter to build up discipline to become good broadcasters.
1: But but that, world, but that were but that world. I I understand what you're saying. But that world has changed because um, the guy who subscribes to the podcast knows who we are. He, he's he he's already said I'm going to listen to McCowan and Shannon, uh, and so that I don't need to be reintroduced as much. Now we do we need to reintroduce no, I, our I, guests I, as much? I mean, no. I, so I think the tools. I think the tools of the broadcast. I understand your logic, and I mean that was that was radio. I wasn't
2: suggesting. I wasn't suggesting that podcasts be radio. Um, I don't think they have to be. My name's probably on a little square in the box.
1: No, it um and, Nelson Millman.
2: Thank you very much. <laughs> um, but, you know, radio is far more disciplined than what this platform
1: is. And, and, well, one of the reasons, too, is it's also regulated, right?
2: Yeah, but regulations have nothing to do with the proper fundamentals of, of radio. And, again, my name's on the screen. Your name's on the screen. Yeah. They may not know who I am, but they see name on the screen and they can hear what we're talking about when they're when we can't see each other it's just a voice and yeah. those voices have to be identified and you have to draw the audience into what you're doing you can't just expect them to 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 jump in without that that invitation
0: well the advantage too of a podcast is you know when we put out the podcast at the top it, there's a script right there that says who the guest is so, you know, going in who that person is with radio, you know, you, you'd have to recognize the voice. And so you want, as people are coming and going, you want to constantly um, reintroduce See, see the, other,
1: the, the other thing that I think that's different is, and, and I, I understand your logic, Nelson, and, I, and, and you're right. That's Radio 101 you're talking about. But structure, podcasts are not supposed to be overly structured, in my opinion. And I think I I, I, well, who I says? well that in my opinion, I just said in my opinion, not in your well, opinion. But a, opinion. The podcast has it, there
0: is freedom in a podcast to do what you want to do. Correct. Where where you're you're you are compelled formatically in radio to follow a certain path and pattern.
2: Yeah, I but, I, but I, the but, the similarities are you need to attract an audience, mm-hmm. yes, hold the audience. Right, make them emotionally attached to the content that you're putting out, so they come back the next day. Exactly. Really, this is no different. Podcasts have gone this way because a lot of people doing podcasts don't, you know, never have never been on the radio side of things. A lot have, mm-hmm. but if the fundamentals of how you attract radio listeners are what they are, why doesn't? Shouldn't that apply to the way you handle podcasts? Maybe not everything, maybe not the minutiae, but the, the the content needs to flow so that I remain interested. Or guess what? I can click the Zoom right or the, the YouTube office. Yeah, yeah, no,
1: off. no, no question about that. I I I guess what I'm saying is there's a there's a I think there's an assumed formality in radio, and I think that formality disappears in podcasting to to a, to an extent, and at least that's my. That's my approach, you you're know, right. I mean, we can use Bob says here. shit every once in a while.
2: Yeah, you're right. And right now you could probably do it on the radio too and help you
1: care. But in the old days, well, because nobody hard would hard hear it. it. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <Yeah>, wow. <well. laughs>
2: True. So, you know, what? I, I come back to it doesn't matter what the what the entertainment is, whether it's television or movies or radio. How do you attract the audience and how do you keep them interested? If two guys are having a rambling conversation and we're not, we have a focus or two, two guys, two people are having a, a you know a conversation that goes here and goes there and goes here. You're going to live with it for a while, but you're not going to hang in. You're not going to get emotionally attached because you don't know what they're going to say next. And if they're not particularly entertaining, um, you know, I, I, I listen to Conan O'Brien's podcast. It's all over the place but he's such an entertaining guy you put up with. Him. Mm-hmm. So uh, what attracts people to radio is no different than what attracts them to this. It's just the, uh, the platform that it's being distributed on. Yeah,
0: you know, I'd be intrigued to sit in on a meeting between the program director at the fan right now. And one of the, one of the hosts, um, and just what in the name of the baby Jesus is he telling this guy to do? That either this guy is not hearing or can't do. And part of the dilemma is, and I know you'll take this with a, a grain of salt because we were both new. Every we were all new to the format when we started. None, nobody had any experience. Not one person in there had ever done it before. Um, but now that's different. And respectfully, the program directors that followed you while I was still there, and John was there. Had no, not one of them had any experience on air in doing the job. So it was going to be very difficult for somebody like me to take a message from somebody who'd never done it before. Because I always figured, well, I know more than you know about what it's like in that room. You know, how are you going to tell me that? And I often wondered, like, what do they say to the guy, you know, the young guy, the 22 year old or whatever that they put in, and, you know, whether it's at eight o'clock at night or, two o'clock in the morning, what are they telling them to do? And I I think, I wonder whether the same thing is still the case. Do you know of anybody that look in radio, you, you become in music radio, you become a program director after you've been a DJ, my lion. It's almost, it's almost a mandate. If not a mandate, you have to have done it before you can run it. Right. Is that even being done in, in, in sports radio in Canada today. Has anybody elevated themselves from being on air into a position of management? Because I don't not know that, of one.
2: Not that I know of. I mean, you know, I did, I never did sports radio. I did some music radio, but I never did sports radio. But I knew... But there wasn't sports made, radio. That's why. But there wasn't. Yeah, yeah. And, and you learn, as you say, you learn what creates... But no, I don't. You know, I, I don't know who's running yeah. the station in Vancouver right now. But um,
1: there isn't a I'm station in sure. Vancouver. Oh, there is a Roger station. Sorry, there's a there's Roger. A, yeah, I was thinking yeah, the TSN yeah. station got shut down, but the Roger yes. station still exists. So,
2: but you're not wrong. And some of that is how many how many sports radio stations have there been. And it, we're back to the farm system, Bob. Good program directors come up through a farm system. Exactly. I started as I started as a producer and and doing bits on the air. I was mm-hmm. a production manager. I, I ran the music department. You know, I worked in the traffic, uh, the, the commercial scheduling department. I did some writing. That all prepared me to be a program director because I um, I'd had enough rounded experience. Yeah, you knew that. Whether or not I was qualified, I'm sorry. Uh, it, oh. <laughs> they put me in there because they saw the resume and I had the <laughs> and, and people used to say, How did you get the job? And my answer was always, Attrition.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Alan Davis, who was uh, the program director in the very early days, had the same kind of background. He was an on air guy and eventually became
2: yep.
0: a program director. And isn't
1: he still doing it?
0: Well, he's still programming. He's still director.
1: running
2: it. And yeah, he's running it's a sports running station w- in Buffalo. W- WGR in Buffalo, and they are kicking. They're doing very well. So there's room for sports radio guys. There
1: is. There there's is. Lot, there is lots room. Of room for sports radio. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's kind of the. That's why it's a little disappointing to see the. And it's this is not just a Toronto thing about the way the business is going. Well,
2: but the companies are both the companies that that have owned the sports business in Canada or both in Toronto. One of the intriguing things.
0: Yeah. One of the intriguing things that's happened in the U S is I was going to say most, but I don't know that many of the all sports radio stations moved from AM to FM Mm -hmm. on the dial. That hasn't happened here. No. Why?
2: Because FM frequencies are so valuable that, they don't want to stop playing music on. I mean, you know, in a station can own four stations in a market in the U.S. You can own twelve stations in the market. Right. True. So you can, you know, you've got lots of FM frequencies that are available. So you're back to regulations, John. In terms of yeah, does the CRTC or are they helping to grow the the business? Well, not so far. And stations, don't, you know, and because it's so much less expensive to a music station. Why would you put put it on an FM station?
1: So, well, so
2: whether, I was let me follow up, Jonathan.
0: Because my follow up is: Do you think that helps? Do you think that being on an on the FM dial is a, a definitive advantage over the AM dial for sports radio? Yes,
2: yes, I do. I, I don't know. You know, sure, sure as hell it used to be. I'm um, going to assume still that you know the stations that are on FM. Uh, in markets are are doing fine. WGR in Buffalo, as I said, AM, there's still lots of AM stations mm-hmm. carrying sports, but there's also lots of FM stations carrying sports. So, um, I, I think it would be, I always thought it would be an advantage. Sorry, I, I interrupted you.
1: It, just a final one for me, Nelson, is um, you, you know, I, I get questioned this all the time. Guys like Dan Patrick, Colin Cowherd, uh, syndicated programming in the United States seems to be able to exist. Is just just because of the size of the market that they can afford to do it? And our market just isn't big enough to have national syndicated radio?
2: Yes. And there's Dallas Cowboys fans all over the United States, so you can sell that content anywhere. And, you know, that's a bit of a, uh, a generalization, but um, people in Toronto – I don't think have as much interest in the Vancouver Canucks. Um,
0: no, you know that.
2: I, yeah, absolutely. you don't
0: think that. You know that.
2: <clears throat> yes.
0: Nelson is trying US, to be diplomatic.
2: So I am. I am. I don't know why I still need to be. Um, but in the U.S., it's such a transient population. I went to, you know, I went to college in in the eastern U.S., but I live in the western U.S. But I still root for the, that college in the eastern mm-hmm. U.S. It's um, it it's not. It just isn't comparable, both from a critical mass size, and the po- You know the way population uses the uh, the media.
0: Well, let's face it: in the three major sports, um, or three of the major sports, um, they are U.S. based entities mm-hmm. with the vast majority of U.S. based. Franchises,
1: and that doesn't include college sports, Bob. And that's and that's a huge include. driver.
2: And that's huge, uh, and that that chews up hundreds of hours, right, of of programming time.
1: Notre Dame okay. and Alabama.
2: So there's nothing. There's you know what on a national basis, it's hard to find any connection outside of the CFL. um <laughs> You well, that's you the point. That is exactly the point, yeah. Nelson. So right. network, you know, we tried national radio. You know how many times we tried it. Your show worked. I mean, you know, and I think at one time we were up around 20, 25 stations for your show. Yeah, It worked because that six to seven hour was dedicated to not talking about the Toronto Maple Leafs, right. Toronto Blue Jays, yeah. um, uh, and and even the Raptors to a lesser extent. You talked about the business of sports. You know, I don't have to tell you what to talk about, but it was generic enough that it could create... Um, but to do more than one hour a day of that would have been a challenge.
0: No, it would have been tough. And we consciously tried to attract a, a national audience and appeal to a national audience. We, this was not by accident. We did it deliberately.
2: While we were uh, trying to sell national advertising.
0: Exactly. Um, I don't know whether we've entertained anybody other than ourselves, but um, we always find it
1: fascinating to get <laughs> into the conversation. You weren't as funny today, Nelson. I'm a little disappointed.
2: Well, you know, I played golf early. And
1: oh, you see, you're a little time, tired. You're you know, a little
2: and, tired, and, and I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to upset anybody
0: today. So Nelson, old man needs to go for a nap now. So uh, we'll let him <laughs> uh, toddle off and have a siesta. Uh, great to see you, pal, and we'll uh, we'll bug you somewhere not so far down the f- the road.
2: Good to see you, boys. Thanks for uh, letting me fill in yet again.
0: Nelson Millman, former program. You were
1: number one on our uh, list in Toronto. (laughs) After everybody else,
0: we'll wrap it after these messages.
1: Every fan knows the right player in the
2: right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
0: So thanks to Nelly Belly, as I used to call him, uh, for uh, joining us on the program, Nelson Millman. N- Nelly Belly? Nelly Belly. Oh. Who N- knows why? I don't know. Um, um, we got things to talk about. Okay, go. Uh, Deshaun Watson gets six games.
1: Oh. Right, wrong, too little, too much. I, I think too little. I think he should have been given the season. Uh, you know, with with everything, if the evidence they have proves that he was guilty of these issues in, in these situations, then six games is a uh, you know a, a slap on the cheek. Well, that creates a more generic question.
0: If you are convicted in the co- co- court of public opinion but not convicted in a court of law, are you guilty?
1: Well, no, but, but don't forget the NFL has done research and had their own investigation and 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 but, but but it's not what I asked you. The NFL and sports leagues have proved themselves to they think they're different than the law and they think that they have to protect the integrity of their sport. We're going to go through this, Bob. We're going to go through this uh, when the NHL finishes its investigations of the Hockey Canada scenario. We, we are, and if there's if there's no criminal actions in the Hockey Canada scenario, what's Gary Bettman going to do? He's going to suspend players. We know that, and that's that's a that's just a reality. Well,
0: uh, for for what it's worth, my
1: personal opinion is I think
0: this was about what we should have expected.
1: Yeah, but you're a Cleveland yes. Browns fan.
0: No, no, I think well. They, he could have got zero, and I would have said, "I think that's too little." And he nah, could have got twelve, have got and more. I would have said, "That's too much."
1: No, have I thought
0: more. I thought six to eight was the was the number he was going to get. Wow. And, okay. Um, hey, can, can I change the
1: topic? Of course you can. Um, Bill Russell died this weekend. He did. And you know, Bob Ryan is you know one of our regulars and does a great job. Says he's the greatest athlete he ever watched play, the greatest basketball player, the greatest winner. This guy had as much impact off the court as he did on, from his days at the University of San Francisco, to his time in Boston, to his time as a player coach in Boston, and coaching other places in the NBA like Seattle. Um, he he truly was one of the great players ever to play the game. Uh, and it's really unfortunate, uh, you know, in in with recency bias, that's what I like to call it, that more people weren't able to enjoy the way he played the game. You and I are old enough to remember the way he played it and how how he was the greatest defensive player, I think, in the history of the game. Uh, and his offensive skills were underrated.
0: I honestly have no recollection of watching Bill Russell play. Really? Yeah, I just don't. I mean, and I was a basketball fan from the time I was little, but we didn't see very many games.
1: The Chamberlain-Russell wars were great.
0: Well, and I mean, Wilt was... Um, another guy that I don't rem- I don't remember watching a wilt game. I may have, but wow. I have no recollection of watching a wilt game. Wow. Uh, having said that, um, I acknowledge the um, the importance of Bill Russell, uh, more so after his playing career ended. Mm-hmm. I would say than uh, than during his career, and almost assuredly one of the five most important people in the sport of basketball to ever exist. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to tell you, I think he's one of the five best players to ever play. He was a great player. But in terms of importance, because of his ongoing visibility within the, within the basketball community, he, he was important and, and influential. Um, time is our enemy. Didn't get to nearly as many topics as I thought, but we have plenty of more days to be able to address that. We thank you for watching or listening, and we'll uh, see you tomorrow. Goodbye, everybody.